Welcome to the Insurgents Podcast with Frank Viola. And he's brought a friend. This is the podcast that supplements Frank's groundbreaking book, Insurgents, Reclaiming the Gospel of the Kingdom, which is shaking up the Christian world. You can find out details about the book at insurgents.org. Sit back, open all four ears, physical and spiritual, and join the insurgents. Here's Frank. Welcome to another edition of the Insurgents Podcast. And I am once again with my compatriot, the inevitable, the ineffable, the ever-brilliant Timbo, and we are in Orlando, Florida again. And we are going to continue our discussion on every reference to the kingdom of God in the Gospels. And I do want to say one thing about how we do these episodes, just in case you're wondering. Tim and I do not have any conversation about the passages that we discuss in these episodes. Zero. Nada. We don't talk about the passage. We don't talk about our views on it. In fact, the only thing we said, these passages we're going to be looking at are challenging. (laughs) And that was it. And so I have no idea what he's going to say. He has no idea what I'm going to say. I don't know what his views are. He doesn't know what my views are. We're going in blind and we're going in cold. And so I just think that's kind of interesting for you all, both of you, who are listening uh, to know sort of the behind the scenes. Now you know how the sausage is made. (laughs) Yeah, that's how it's made. (laughs) Uh, All right, so we are continuing and the passage we're going to discuss Today in this episode is Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 to 28. This is the next reference to the kingdom of God. Why don't you uh, read it for us? All right. This is from the English Standard Version. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, What do you want? She said to him, Say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your kingdom. Jesus answered, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, We are able. He said to them, You will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. And when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Well, well, there's a lot here. There's a lot here that I want to point out and things that struck me, and I'm eager to hear (laughs) the same from you, Tim. One thing I will point out right away is that 
the new international version has her asking uh, this is the mother of uh, the sons of zebedee which is james and john the two apostles grant that one of these two sons grant uh instead of save i think that's the esv says save say so grant it's esv says say or save say 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 that these two sons say okay and we have grant if we go back to chapter 19 and verse 28 we have this statement jesus said to them i tell you the truth at the renewal of all things when the son of man sits on his glorious throne you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of israel so the 12 who had lived with jesus for three and a half years the promise is that they're going to sit on 12 thrones and I think that's significant because it kind of shows us the the frame of mind. Jesus is traveling to Jerusalem. This is his journey to um, the city, and it's at the end of his ministry. And if I can paraphrase the scene, we have Jesus saying to his disciples, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going there to be mocked, to be scourged, to be crucified. This is something he told them not long before repeatedly actually and their reply basically and i'm paraphrasing is well no lord um, who are you going to appoint to the chief seats in the kingdom <laughs> who's going to sit at your right and your left and in another gospel we have in mark chapter 10 we have mark telling us that it is james and john who are asking the question and in Matthew, it's their mother. So obviously, they were compliant with the mother's request. <laughs> um, but it shows the frame of mind. You know, you're going to enter in your kingdom. They still believe, regardless of the fact that Jesus told them, I'm going there to die. I'm going to be crucified. They still believed he was a king. They still believed he was going to establish his kingdom. And they filtered out all the talk about suffering in the cross. And that always made them uncomfortable. And because it didn't compute, they filtered it. Hmm. And I just want to pause here and insert a word that this happens today. It happens with us. It happens with God's people. That our minds have the ability to just hear what we understand and what we like and then filter out what we don't understand and what we don't like. And I'm talking about at an unconscious level. We, we don't even realize we're doing it. I was having an interview with someone not long ago and I was talking about the kingdom of God in a very non-conventional way, in a way that runs against the grain of the typical talking points in the Protestant world. And it was uncanny because when I finished and I gave a very different view the interviewer in the second question repeated back to me not what i said but the typical talking points of the kingdom of god by most christians in the protestant world and i just found that amazing it was like everything i said was filtered through what this person already heard about the kingdom that's in effect what was happening here with jesus he he would talk about what would happen to him when he went to Jerusalem, how he was going to be mocked and scourged 
and put to death. And that just sort of <laughs> was screened out of their filter. And all they could see was, he's going to bring his kingdom. And then they had the courage to say, when he asked them, are you able to take the cup? Are you able to drink it? And they said, yes. They could not understand that through defeat, a crown would be won. And maybe they were saying in their hearts, you know, he's tired, he's weary, he's, he's depressed, he doesn't really know what he's saying. <laughs> he thinks he's going to be defeated, but we don't. He's going to triumph. He's going to build his kingdom. And so let's talk about where we're going to be in the pecking order when he sets it up. Right. And that's where their minds were. And so, you know, this journey to Jerusalem seems to have gotten them thinking about how he was going to set up the kingdom, where they were in that process. And what's fascinating, too, is that it seems that most of the times, Tim, in the Gospels, when Jesus was talking about the cross and the suffering that he was going to endure and the dark parts of his journey to Jerusalem, their minds went to who's going to be the greatest. You know, remember at the Last Supper, he says... And he makes this awfully tragic statement. One of you is going to betray me. And then the writer says, and there rose up a contention among them as to who would be the greatest apostle among them. <laughs> That's exactly where their minds went. So they were anxious about who was going to get the keys of the kingdom, who would be in the seats of power and prestige. And this impulse has not left us. It continues today in Christian leadership. And those who aspire to be in Christian leadership. And when they said we're able to drink the cup, I, you know, it's interesting. He didn't say that's impossible and he didn't rebuke them. He's very patient with them. In fact, he said, you will drink my cup. And they did. But I'm impressed with his patience. Right, right. And, and it does go back to that, that piece at the end of chapter 19. So this isn't this isn't the disciples totally off base, right? Right. Jesus has just has just said a little while ago. Well, when the kingdom is restored and all things are made new, there's going to be twelve thrones. So it, it's not they're they're not. It's half of it, right? Exactly, exactly. They're not totally off base, but it's but then they miss everything else he says. Right. right. You know everything else. Every, they just. Ignore it. It's the filter. They, right. It's the filter. It's exactly what you said. It's, it's confirmation bias. They're, they know what the kingdom is supposed to look like. They know what the Messiah is supposed to look like. And so, you know, the first time that Jesus says, I have to go to the cross, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to be scourged, back at Caesarea Philippi, then Peter goes after him, right? Peter's like, no, Lord, no, 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 that's never going to happen to you. And Jesus confronts him back on that and says, you know, get behind me, Satan, because you, you are thinking in human terms, not in divine terms. Mm. But then the next two times that he says he has to go to the cross, that he has to suffer, that he's going to be betrayed, they don't even give him any pushback, right? Mm -hmm. They just ignore it. They just, they, they just, they, they just screen it out. They screen it out. It's like, oh, that's too painful. We don't want to hear that. Can we talk about who's going to be in the seats of power next to you? <laughs> that's a much more pleasant topic. Hey, uh, and it's like they miss they miss that whole piece of the the parable of the vineyard that we talked about last time, which says this kingdom is not like any kingdom mm. of this earth. That it does not function 
Mm. It does not function in the same way. You know, so it's just like when you when you said earlier here, you, you, you're having this conversation with somebody and saying, this is what the kingdom is like, and they don't even hear you, right? They just, yes. they just come back with the standard, you know, with the standard party line about Absolutely. about what's what the kingdom of God is is really like, and that's what happens with the with the disciples here. Mm. They just don't, just like us, just like it's hard for us to understand and grasp mm. that the kingdom comes through suffering. Mm-hmm. That in the kingdom, those who are in the places of honor mm. are servants. Mm-hmm. That that really any kind of traditional hierarchy just isn't there, right? It just isn't there. Oh, yeah. It isn't about sitting on a throne and ordering other people around. That is not what the kingdom is about. The mm. kingdom is about service. The kingdom is about lifting others up, about inviting others into that place where they become connected with the living God and become the people that God intends them to be. That's, mm. you know, that's what happens in the kingdom. Yeah, amen. I'm looking at Mark 10. This is the parallel passage. And right before uh, James and John, sons of Zebedee, with their mother, ask the question, grant us to sit one at the right hand, the other at the left, in your glory when you come to your glory. Right before that, Jesus made the statement, I say to you, there is not one of you who has left house, brothers, sisters, mothers, father, children, lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and lands with persecutions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's the part that we filter out, mm-hmm. that they filtered out. And in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and last first. And one thing that the account in Mark adds is, are you able to drink the cup that I drink and then are you able to be baptized mm. with the baptism with which I am baptized? So, you know, two comments there, the cup and the baptism referring to the baptism of, of fire and suffering, the cup of suffering. Tradition says that the mother of James and John, her name was Salome. But basically she wanted her sons and they too, they agreed with it. This is why the disciples, the other disciples were indignant. They were angry. But also, I think behind that was some jealousy, you know. But she wanted them to be at the top of the pyramid. They wanted the box seats in God's kingdom. (laughs) They were jockeying for position. They wanted the choice seats. They didn't just want to sit on 12 thrones, which Jesus promised. They wanted the best thrones. (laughs) And Jesus, of course, gives them a different model for greatness. Both the Jews and the Gentiles in this day and even today stressed rank, right? Power and dominance. But in the kingdom, genuine seekers of the kingdom who really understand it, they don't seek power and dominance. They seek to serve and to love, to lay their lives down, to to sacrifice themselves. And in this way, the cross suffering is in fact the path to rulership. One of the things I want to focus here on this is rarely, if ever, talked about, is that when Jesus was uttering this indictment against the way that the Gentiles rule, and I'll read it from the New International, 
you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them, but it will not be so with you. Now, if you look into the Greek here, this is, this is a big point, the word there, ruling over, the root is kata, K-A-T-A, and that implies dominance over others. And in both passages here, in Mark 10, Matthew 20, and even in Luke 22, where he essentially says the same thing, the Gentiles lord it over. Those who have authority over them are benefactors, but it is not this way with you. The exercise authority, it's a long word in Greek. Kata means over, exousiozo means exercise authority. What you have here is a hierarchical form of leadership. You have top-down authority. This chain of command structure where authority flows from the top down. And Jesus is saying this is the worldly, earthly form of power. I say this because hierarchical structures are something that Jesus, right here in this gospel, and also in Mark and Luke, is condemning, Mm. is renouncing. And he's saying leadership in the kingdom doesn't operate in this hierarchical fashion. One of the arguments I made in an article entitled The Origins of Human Government and Hierarchy, and I'll put the link in the show notes if people want to read it. It's heavily documented with Jewish and Greco-Roman sources. And I find the insights in these sources to be absolutely fascinating because the point that's being made is hierarchical leadership did not come from God or Jesus Christ for humans. Mm. And the other point is that when you set up hierarchical structures, people begin to wield power over other people. And you have this domination Why is this important? Well, it's important because, A, the Lord condemns it here, clearly in this passage, but B, it's prolific in the church world. Hmm. I mean, the average church today, and this has been true for centuries, operates using the hierarchical model with top-down leadership. And right here in black and white, Jesus is saying, it ought not to be so among you. That's pretty sobering. Yes. And, and, it, and I think it ties into the whole idea of the cup and the suffering, too. Oh, yes. Because unlike the exercise of power in the world, which is force and dominance and compelling others to do what the ruler wants them to do, that's not the way that Jesus exercises his authority. As he says later on in, in Matthew, you know, he could have called 10,000 angels. Mm. He could have done it that way. That would be the way of the world, right? You, mm-hmm. you, get, your, you get your crack troops in there and wipe them, out. wipe them out. But that's not the way that Jesus works. That's not the way that Jesus exercises power. He, he says, mm. can you take the cup, the cup of suffering, right? That's, that's the cup, as, as you said, that's the tradition. That's, that's what it means in, in Jewish tradition. The cup is the cup of suffering that, that someone takes to endure what God is calling them to do. And later on in, in the gospel, in Gethsemane, 
Jesus asks, Father, mm-hmm. if, if, if I could pass this cup, mm-hmm. but not my will, but your will yes. be done. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's that relinquishment of power, even to the point of enduring suffering. Mm-hmm. That is how Jesus brings God's power mm-hmm. into the world. And so that's how we're invited to bring God's power mm-hmm. into the world too. You know, in my, in my tradition, in my Lutheran tradition, you know, we call this the theology of the cross, mm. that God is most revealed, who God is is most revealed, God's power is most revealed in the cross. Mm. And when we recognize that, then we see God more clearly active in, in the world, right? Because we don't expect then the standard story of, well, God's just going to come in and use God's power and fix everything and, mm. you know, make, you know, stomp on the bad people and lift up the good people and put them on thrones so that they can, you know, they can have the easy life. Mm. But that's not the way that God works. You know, and Jesus, Jesus says, it will not be so among you. It will not be so among you here as the kingdom breaks into your lives mm-hmm. in the present world, right? The kingdom is breaking in now. So that hierarchical dominance model is not going to work among you mm. because that's not the way, that's not the way Jesus works. And that's not the, that's not the kingdom that he's inviting us into when it comes in its fullness. Amen. If any of you are listening to this and you want more on the subject there's a book entitled Reimagining Church. You may have a copy of it, some of you who are listening. And this is all about how the church functioned in the first century and how it can and has in some places functioned today. But on page 155 and going forward, but it begins on 155, uh, there's a whole section on Jesus and the Gentile hierarchical idea of leadership. And that's where the Greek word is mentioned here and what the Lord was really talking about. And there's a contrast between how leadership operates in the Gentile world and how it operates in the kingdom of God. Very, very different. And also that's followed by Jesus and the Jewish positional model of leadership where the Lord takes dead aim at honorific titles. Do not be called rabbi. Do not be called father, et cetera, et cetera. And there's a discussion on that too. And I say all this because I do think that tradition is so powerful. When I became a Christian, I was brought up in a certain tradition, and then I moved to another tradition, and then I moved to another tradition. And I just unthinkingly accepted whatever the traditions were, you know, in terms of how the churches operated, their structure of leadership. And then, as I grew and began to read the New Testament and began to see statements like this and compared it to my tradition, I had to make a choice. Well, wait a minute. Do I justify my tradition and try to change what Jesus is saying? Or do I say, wait a minute, my beloved tradition is wrong on this point. And so anyway, I just put that out there for anybody who is hearing this and saying, hmm, what are the implications here? Even so, it really comes down to the root of this impulse to have power Mm. and dominance over others. And don't think for a moment that this is not alive and well in the Christian family and in Christian leadership, because there really is, 
a pyramid. And I'm not just talking about a local church, but in denominations, there's the hierarchical pyramid in conferences. You know, they're the box seats mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and the poor plebes at the bottom. And Salome's question, the mother of James and John, it represents a deep and profound misunderstanding of Jesus and his teaching. Those of us who minister, I think we can gain comfort from this in this way that you're going to be misunderstood. Mm. I mean, if the Lord himself is misunderstood, at the most basic level is this. Yes. No Christian leader, however gifted, is going to be beyond being misunderstood. And also, we all have filters as well. And to recognize that, you know, for me to recognize that, for you to recognize that, Lord, tear away the filter. I don't want to screen out, you know, what you're saying and just take this part but leave this part out. Interestingly enough, when Jesus said to James and John, you will drink the cup, they did. Yes. James drank it in Acts chapter 12. He was the first apostle who was executed. He was the second martyr after Stephen, but he was the first apostle. And regarding John, there are legends of him being boiled in olive oil, although he survived it. Although he died at an old age, according to church tradition, he was exiled on the island of Patmos. So he had his share of persecution. But, you know, I like that in this passage and in some of the others, we're seeing the natural, earthy side of the apostles. These were the guys that Jesus chose, you know, mm-hmm. and they had sharp elbows. And they were thinking in terms of a natural human pecking order. But in God's upside down kingdom, there's an alternative agenda. And who is the greatest? Here's another case where I think we looked at this before in chapter 18 when the disciples came to him. Here again, they say, who's the greatest in the kingdom? <laughs> so this was something that was on their minds more than once. And then he brings a little child over to him and he says, unless you become like this child, you will not enter the kingdom. And whoever humbles himself like this child. You know, children aren't thinking about power and dominance and controlling other people. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom. So there's this natural inclination in humans to want status and importance and power and prestige. And it's one of the things that you and I and all of us unlearn in this pursuit of God's kingdom, which shows us how few (laughs) in the Christian family really understand the kingdom because this is all about slaves and servants being at the bottom of the pecking order in the world are in the box seats of the kingdom of God. It's not that he who dies with the most toys wins, it's he who serves the most wins. Hmm. He who suffers the most wins. He who loses the most wins. What say you? Yes. Like you said, it's so hard for the disciples to get this. It's so hard. It is so hard. So we shouldn't be surprised that it's hard for us to get it too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Because it is unnatural. The natural order of things is Mm. to want more. The natural order of things is to want dominance. The natural Mm. order of things. That's, That's the world system. 
you know, as you've talked about, right? That is the world system. That's mm-hmm. the way the world system is, is set up. The kingdom is the antithesis of the world system. It's, it's the opposite. It turns the world system completely around and eliminates all of the oppression and hierarchy and evil and destructiveness that's, that's inherent in the world system and completely turns it around. And the way that that happens is through suffering and service. Yes. And it's so hard for us to realize that. I mean, with the disciples, at the, at the end, when Jesus goes through the crucifixion, is buried, rises from the dead, he spends some time with the disciples, he's ready to ascend up into heaven, and what do the disciples say? So, Lord, is now the time you're going to inaugurate the kingdom? <laughs> Do we get to sit on the thrones now? <laughs> yeah. Guys, guys, I mean, it's so hard for them to let go yeah. of that model. And Jesus just repeatedly challenges it in so many different ways. So many of the parables mm-hmm. are challenges to that way of looking at the world, that way of dominance, that way of hierarchy. In this little piece that we're talking about today, Isn't it ironic? They say, well, we want to be on your right and on your left. Who ends up on Jesus' right and Jesus' left when he's moving into glory? I mean, it's the cross, right? Mm -hmm. The cross. Jesus is glorified on the cross. That's, you know, that's the end of John's gospel, time after time. Father, glorify me. And he gets glorified on the cross through the the suffering, through the death, through the the, the darkest place. Yeah, guys, you know, it's maybe it's a good thing that it's that you're not going to be on my right and my left because mm. that is you're going to drink the cup, you're going to have your share of suffering, but you you really don't get it. You really don't get what what God is doing in the world and how God is bringing is bringing his presence mm. in, into into our reality. You know, it, it all points to the it all points to the cross. I mean, the resurrection is, thanks be to God, right? Thanks be to God that we look forward to the resurrection. But the cross is where the powers are defeated. Yeah. The cross is where God is most clearly revealed as the one who Jesus has come into the world to serve and suffer to bring us back to the Father. Mm-hmm. It's a great point you make because they lived with him for three plus years. And it was very hard for them to grasp that the way to glory is the way to being a servant, one who Mm -hmm. waits tables. Mm -hmm. The way to be great is like being an insignificant, powerless child. The way to glory, the way to preeminence is to wash the feet of another, Mm -hmm. which Jesus modeled all of this. Mm And his discourse here on exercising power over others, along with his discourse in Matthew 23 about titles, honorific titles, that too speaks of this desire, not necessarily to lord over other people, but it speaks to this impulse to want to be seen, to want to have prestige, Hmm. status, I'm on social media. I don't use it a whole lot, but I see various Christians post on it, and I, I don't know most of them. 
But it's very common, at least in certain movements, for them to identify themselves with an honorific title. You know, prophetess, prophetic warrior, Sally, evangelist, prophetic, apostolic, missionary, Dawn. I don't think they've read Matthew 23, and I don't fault them for that because lots of us haven't, or we look at it and we filter that, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But what's behind that? What's behind that is I want status. I want people to look up to me. I want prestige. And that's what's behind the hierarchical leadership structure as well. I want the box seat. I want to be higher in the chain of command, in the pecking order. This mother's, James and John, the mother's misguided pride in her sons is something very natural. We look at this and we can't really say, well, this is overtly sinful. We could make a case for that. But really, it's more than anything. It's natural. It's Mm -hmm. part of the human, falling human economy, the falling human condition to want this prestige, this power this status it's brought right into the house of god among christian people and the religious world i do want to highlight the correlation between suffering and reigning which jesus talked an awful lot about but we have it in the epistles too romans 8 verse 17 if your children your heirs heirs of god and fellow heirs with christ provided we suffer with him Hmm. in order that we may also be glorified with him. 2 Timothy 2, verse 12, if we endure, we also will reign with him. In the King James Version, it says, if we suffer, we shall also reign with him. This business of suffering and reigning being coupled together is something that all of us need to be reminded about. That the way up is down. Mm. That the way to gain is through loss. Yes, and it's not. I think, it's, and I think it's not an accident that Jesus says you'll have to drink the cup. That there's the suffering, and then servant and slave. Mm. That it's it's the suffering, and then the lowest places in the hierarchy. Those are the places where one connects with God. Right, those are the places that one moves forward into the kingdom, and and that because that's the way Jesus moves forward. Mm. Right, that's I mean, in, in essence, Jesus says this to them, and then it's and then it's almost like, and watch how this is lived out. Mm. From twenty one on, watch how this is lived out. Even because even when Jesus is in the place where, where he is being honored, right? The triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Yes. He doesn't come in on a war horse, right? Mm-hmm. He doesn't come in high and mighty like Pontius Pilate or mm-hmm. one of the gen- generals of Caesar. He comes riding a donkey, mm-hmm. right? A humble animal. Turns that whole picture of hierarchy upside down, right? Mocks it, really. Mm-hmm. Mocks that picture of, yeah, you guys think you're so great. Well, mm-hmm. Not really, not really. There's, there's a real king in town now. And that king comes to suffer and serve and bring in the reality of God's rule that's mm-hmm. against this whole, this whole domination system that, that the Romans are a prime example of. And so it's, it's clear that that's what's happening. It's clear that that's how the kingdom 
breaks into the world. But as we both said many times in this conversation, it is incredibly hard for humans to see. Yeah. Because we have that, we have that filter. Mm. We have that filter. We have that, that blindness. Mm. And so I, I, I don't think that it's coincidental that right after this story, Jesus heals two blind men. Mm. It's like, boys, you got to see. You got to see clearly. Mm. You got to give up that. You got to give up that filter. You got to give up that way of looking at the world that says mm. control, power, dominance. Amazing. It's just so striking how earthly authority structures operate radically differently than they do in the kingdom of God. Mm. But to say that is one thing, to actually see it fleshed out is another. And Jesus was was really training the 12, and eventually they got it. But he was training them to not lust for power or position or status or prestige and turning all of that on its head and teaching them how to serve, how to lay their life down, Mm -hmm. how to be willing to suffer, how to take the low seat, the low place, Mm -hmm. how to humble themselves. We have pastors, we have leaders. Well, you're a pastor. We have people who are in ministry listening to this. And I guess there are two things you I would say, and I want to hear you riff on this as well. One is to those who are not in any leadership position, it's easy to hear what we have said and use it as a weapon to chuck rocks at people who are operating in a hierarchical leadership, specifically and by name, you know, attacking them, even though we're clear that Jesus was saying it ought not to be so among you, but to weaponize that and to go after people who are walking in that, that too is sinful in my view. Mm. If anybody listening to this is apt to do that, turn those arrows back at yourself and look at how can you model this servanthood, humility, laying your life down, being willing to suffer. That's the focus, not on what other people are doing. And that's one of the things that caused all this contention among the disciples is that, you know, John said this, James's mother said this, you know, Peter's asking about this. And so they, they start to judge one another. And there's so much in the New Testament against judging. Jesus even talked about it. But on the other hand, if you are a leader, if you are in ministry, how can this apply to you? I would warn everyone listening not to filter what Jesus is saying here, which is cutting and sharp and radical through your own tradition and what you're already doing. I think that if someone really heard what the Lord was trying to communicate, and they were in a hierarchical leadership, I would think it would change their behavior if they really understood it and were willing to adopt it. So I think this is challenging. It's not challenging to hear it and say, yes, amen. It's challenging to apply it, especially if you are one of those people who's at the top of the pecking order in your tradition or denomination or or your conference or whatever it is. And how can you lay your life down? How can you humble yourself like a child? How can you take the low seat as Jesus taught? 
practically? I think that's the real question that searches all of us. I know so many pastors, and I don't know how many are listening to this, but one of the marks of a person who is not humble like a child, who is not a servant, who is not really living in the kingdom of God and expressing what Jesus is saying here, but trying to move up that ladder and get a better seat in the pecking order, one of the great marks is just being dismissive. Dismissive to other people, dismissive to their peers, dismissive to people who are beyond them spiritually, and being dismissive to opportunities. And that's one of the reasons why people like that will never be on a show like this, because they, in effect, dismiss the Lord himself through other people. I think there's a real message here. I would love to hear from anybody who is in ministry, pastor, a leader of any kind, if this message that we're talking about here has gotten into your marrow and it's pierced your heart and you're going to do something about it in terms of a change of posture and attitude, this really requires the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit. Our speaking of it, our reading the scripture, our expounding what the Lord has shown us is one part. The other part is the Holy Spirit's enlightenment. And if you're in leadership and you're listening to this and you have a humble and open heart, the Holy Spirit will give you light. But I'd love to hear from you. And if you're listening to this and you know pastors and you know leaders and they're people who are climbing the ladder, so to speak, they're in that high seat, they're dismissive, (laughs) and you can get through to them. Even share this with them. Share the link and say, hey, I really want you to hear this. Not in an attacking way. I always have to say that because there's some people who will take things I've written and said and totally misuse it. That's not the heart here. The heart is if you know someone who will be benefited by this, Mm -hmm. who is in leadership, in ministry, send it to them. And, And I am very open and accessible to people, pastors, leaders, and so forth. I have many friends who are in that camp, people who I work with in different levels, such as yourself. I have the Insurgents Experience Mastermind where I work very closely with pastors. But we need more men and women in the kingdom of God who have responded to Jesus in this particular way that we're speaking about. Do you have anything to add to that, brother? Amen. That's all. Amen. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the Insurgents Podcast and give it a five-star review on iTunes. This will help others find it. Also, you can join Frank's unfiltered email list at frankviola.org and receive encouragement, challenges, and insights connected to the gospel of the kingdom. Remember, the insurgence has begun. Don't miss it.